Welcome back to the Fitness Fee podcast. I'm Fee and this podcast is for anyone who is interested in nutrition, fitness and mindset. If you want to feel more in control, enjoy living your life while reaching your goals, then this is the podcast for you. I hope you enjoy it and let's get into the episode. Hi, and this episode we are back with Stu, and we are in August now, middle of August. Uh, hi, Stu, how are you? Hello, I am well, thank you, very well indeed. And we are in August, which is probably the worst month here in Gibraltar. Oh, really? Yeah, what? because we get like um, sea mist, it's called Levanta. It comes uh... from the sea and it gets stuck on the rock. So then all the mornings, like... Uh, dead cloudy and hazy and it's really humid oh. and then sort of like september it disappears again or at least it drops a little bit it's something to do with the temperatures and the, the air pressures i'm not that clued up on it but what i do know is it's sticky as anything here right oh, now is it well yeah we don't have that problem here in the uk because it's just raining <laughs> well, well I, I can't complain at least it's warm here like, it's well it's actually bad. it's not too cold actually it's just, yeah, it has mizzled a lot here this morning, I'm not going to lie. I did manage to get the grass cut yesterday, so that was a bonus. Oh, bonus, that is um, a win. It is, seeming it was like, it was getting very long. Right, let's get uh, stuck into this month. So we've got a few things that we're both going to talk about that have cropped up with our clients across the board, things that we've been chatting about um, with the thousands of people that we chat to every week. Um, one of the first things that I'm going to come up is the language that you use and the way that you refer to yourself. Now, this is something that um, we both probably come across a lot. Um, and it's probably something that a lot of people out there are going to resonate with. And it's going to be, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's what I mean is like the negativity that you uh, surround yourself with, with the wording that you use. So as in like, I am fat, I am disgusting, I can't look at myself in the mirror because I gross myself out. All these like really unkind words that you can think of to describe yourself and basically beat yourself up about the way that you look. Um, it's something that we've talked about quite a lot on uh, JSA re recently. Um, I did a, a live chat with Donna from uh, DMJ Coaching and we talked about body image a lot and it's it does come down to your perception of yourself um and one thing that i always start off asking people is the way that you're talking about yourself if you heard your best friend saying that about themselves or your sister or somebody close to you a friend or a loved one what is it that you would say to them so if they were sat there going okay i'm disgusting i'm fat I'm like, I can't look at myself. I'm like grotesque. Um, all these horrible words. What is it that you would say to your friend? And then can you relay that back to yourself? Yeah, and what? I think that's a really nice perspective, isn't it? Flipping that to getting, because uh, you can be so involved in like, you can get, you can't see the wood for the trees kind of vibe. Whereas being able to say, how would you speak to someone else can sometimes break that narrative a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, it's I think that's the most helpful thing, at, like at the front of of your mind. If so, if you can, if you start talking to yourself in that negative manner and that language that isn't nice, you know, if you can stop yourself and say, okay, if my best friend said this, what is it that I would say to her? And you'd probably say that it's simply not true. Um, it's a perspective that you have of yourself. It doesn't mean that it is actually true. Um, especially when people come out with the wording of like, I am fat. And this is one that we all, we, we both talk about. Um, it's not, it's not a thing that defines you. It is something that you have. So you might have more body fat than you want at the moment at the present time, but that is something that you can change. Um, rather than saying I am fat, you could say I have some fat. And I'm going to change that and I'm going to do something about that. Um, that can be one of the simple things that you can do. What other tips have you got, Stu, for the the way that we talk to ourselves, the, the language that we use? Because a lot of times when you say that to people, they don't really understand what you mean. They, you know, the language that we use when we're talking about our own body image or 
or food or the way that we've behaved, people kind of underestimate, I think, about how just simply changing the way that you use your language can make a massive impact on how you then act in re- in return. Yeah, and I think, again, it, it seems pedantic for a lot of people, and I've been told that many times, like, you're being pedantic about the way that I'm speaking. But in reality, the way that we think, like, we think in, in, in our language, don't we? Like, we think in the language that we speak. You, the thoughts that you hear in your head are in the language that you use. So if we can consciously change the language that we use in day-to-day life, we can start to influence the way that we think as well. And there's a beautiful quote, and it's something like, my language is the limits of my world. Um, Ludwig something, I can't remember his last name, and I probably couldn't pronounce it properly even if I tried. But that is like a beautiful little description of what we're talking about here. And something you mentioned was these I am statements. And they're so powerful because you're making it a part of you. And you see this across the board from I am lazy. Like you're making laziness a trait that you now have. This is something you have. It makes it part of your identity. So like I am statements are often really heavily linked with identity. And I was actually talking about this at the weekend. Um, For some reason we were talking, oh, I was, I'd listened to a podcast with Matt Willis, the guy from Busted. And he was on the high performance podcast and he is had troubles with uh, alcohol and drugs. And we got into the discussion of Alcoholics Anonymous. And part of the Alcoholics Anonymous thing is they say, I am an alcoholic. And I said, well, actually, I don't really like that part because you're making that part of who you are. It makes it feel very fixed, very constrained, very stuck. It's like, I am this person and I cannot change. But the reality is that you can change. And especially when we start saying things like, I am fat or... I am pathetic or all of these. I It's encouraging these feelings of shame. And there's a beautiful quote by Brené that I've just found here that is, shame is the warm feeling that washes over us, making us feel small, flawed, and never good enough. And in those moments when we say, I am fat, like I am useless, it makes us feel worthless. It makes us feel like we aren't capable of change. So then you're on this path to try and get towards this goal. And the more that you beat yourself up, the more that you self-shame, the more that you criticize, the more likely it is that you're not going to make the change that you're looking for. And again, another Brené quote, one that's been absolutely um, put everywhere. Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. Mm. So if we no longer believe that it's even possible, we've at that point, we've lost all hope. And hope and reassurance are very different. You know, reassurance is a short-term thing. But hope is this idea that it is still possible. And it just leaves that door open slightly. The more that you shame yourself, the more that door closes. And it's easier in those moments to then turn to behaviors that don't serve us. So, and I know we discussed this at the start and that was um, before we got recording. And that was around this this idea of this constraint. And I always use this speed limiter analogy. Mm. So you can only go as fast as the speed limiter will allow you to go. And body image creates a constraint so that if every time you see yourself, you lambast yourself and criticize and attack and self-shame, then you're keeping that limiter in place and you're never going to be able to move past it because every single time you get close to making a meaningful change, you shame yourself, which convinces you that change is impossible, which then makes you feel like, what's the point? And as soon as you have that what's the point sort of thought, it's so easy to press the fucking button. Because that's realistically what the basis of that is. There is no point me now continuing. So now, even what you said there of I am fat, you can see how that we've literally pulled that apart to see how that can be one problematic thing that you do on a regular basis that stops you from achieving the goal. And Mm. that's just something like saying I am. And even just being able to strip that back and be like, oh, well, that's now why that makes sense. Like I can see that. Let's, as you say there, you know, I have excess body fat or I have body fat, but the reality is we all do. Otherwise we'd be dead because we needed to survive. So even, and this was something that um, I think Amelia Thompson said, and it was changing the language that we use from I have fat to I have adipose tissue. Now adipose tissue is body fat. It's the exact Mm -hmm. same thing, but it doesn't feel as emotionally charged. 
Mm. Like adipose tissue sounds a bit technical and boring. And it's like, can we start to introduce language like this that makes it even easier to remove that emotional intensity aspect? And then that can help us move through it as well. Yeah, it's that link to shame, isn't it? It's the shaming, I think, uh, of ourselves and what some people might say that they've allowed themselves to get to a, a certain weight um, uh, and the realisation that that what has happened. And it generally, it's over a longer period of time, which I think is, um, again, it's about the body image perception, isn't it? Because a lot of people that are are overweight um, or obese, it's something that's gradually happened. It's literally not happened. You you know, it's very hard for you to gain a large amount of weight in a very short period of time. And people don't seem to understand that because it will have been something that's gradually happened, could be over like, you know, three, five years plus. So therefore you're not really subconsciously aware of it because it's such a slow process. And it might be that you don't like having your picture taken or whatever. So you've avoided that. So it, it's in that moment when that you do see yourself through somebody else's eyes, like a camera or something. And it's the realization like, oh my God, I didn't think I looked like that because in my head, I still look like what I did five years ago. Um, and I think it's obviously the realization of, of where you are and maybe that you haven't looked after yourself as well as you could have. And you've not been conscious of the choices that you've chosen, or if you have, you've chosen to ignore it and just carry on. Uh, and I think that can be the hard hitting thing that then people fall into the trap of shaming, body shaming themselves and beating themselves up because they've allowed that to happen for whatever reason. I mean, it, there could be many, many reasons that it's happened. Um, and it's trying to come out of that and then realize, okay, you've, that has happened for whatever reason. You you are well within your power to change that back the other way. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, the thing that that I thought today was for, to talk about this was because I was talking to a particular lady about it. And even though she had lost a large amount of weight in a year, so she'd done it in a sustainable way. She was like, I saw a picture of myself through somebody else, like of somebody else had taken. And she said, I was so upset because it just made me realize how much further that I had to go. So rather than looking at the positives, all she could see were the negatives, um, which is which is hard. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to focus on that. OK, this is what I've achieved so far. I was. And sometimes it takes having somebody from the outside say to you, OK, you might still have some way to go to what you want to be or where you want, think you want to be. Um, but you also need to look at all the positives and it might not just be, yes, I have lost X amount of weight, but it could be, yes, okay. I'm, I'm more active. I'm, you know, I'm able to run around after my kids. I'm eating healthy foods. I, I'm, if I've increased my, my steps and my activity, therefore my health and my long live, uh, longevity is, is much greater than it was a year or two years ago. So it's, you know, again, it's coming away from that being fixed on, I need to lose this weight. I, you know, I don't want to be fat anymore. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that I think this ties back into identity as well. And I believe it was Mark Manson where I first heard it. And it was this idea that identity like lags reality a little bit. So who you think you are isn't actually all that accurate because it's it takes time to be able to change that. So, and I see this from people that I've worked with and also what you've just mentioned there where people can start to make a change, but they sometimes still see themselves where they were a year ago. Like they've got to what they thought was their goal and they're like, oh, I still feel, I still feel fat. I still feel this way. And it's sometimes to do with that, that your identity has sort of lagged a bit. And you can also go the other way. And that is people make progress and they see a photo of themselves. And I had this happen with one of the people I work with very recently. She saw a photo of herself and she didn't recognize herself. She was like, "That's I'm, where am I at in that photo? And she genuinely had to search for herself mm. because who she sees herself as is still the version of who she was a year ago, but she's in a completely different place now. But sometimes there's just that little lag in that identity. And I think another huge component when you were saying about celebrating the wins and um, 
that sort of looking back, there's this, there's a, a whole book on it by Benjamin Hardy, and it's called The Gap and the Gain. And it says that if all we ever do is look in the gap to where we want to be, the gap between where we are now and the place we want to get to, we'll always be dissatisfied. You know, there's always, it makes us feel inadequate. It encourages scarcity because in that moment, it makes us feel like we aren't enough. Mm. And this links right back to what we said with shame. And that is all we ever do is look where we're falling short. We're shaming ourselves all Mm. the time. So when we go to that gap, Actually, what we, we want to be doing is measuring that gain and being like, you know, how far have I come? What have I achieved? And I think especially for a lot of people, this is uh, particularly troublesome because of the negativity bias that we all hold anyway. But I think there's an aspect of like not wanting to stick our heads above the parapets and celebrate our own wins and not be like, and it, I suppose it fits in with this idea of like tall poppy syndrome and people put their head up and the, the tall poppy grows and gets chopped down. And there, there's an analogy in chop wood, carry water, that's like crabs in a bucket. And if you put loads of crabs in a bucket, one crab will try and cl- crawl out and all of the other crabs will try and pull that crab back into the bucket and will break its legs in the process. So it's even that idea of like, sometimes it feels really scary to put our heads above. And I think there's this whole aspect of like humility and we always see, because I was actually just Googling this this morning out of curiosity um, to see what the definition of humility was. And it was thinking less of ourselves. And whilst I think that's true, I think there's an aspect of humility that also acknowledges that we do have strengths. We do have things that we're doing well. I think it's a more well-balanced approach than just simply saying, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to be super humble and I don't want to acknowledge my wins because this reason and I don't want to seem like I'm being arrogant or big-headed. And I think, as per usual, there's a balance to be had here. And I don't think anyone that celebrates a win that's like, oh, my God, like, yeah, awesome. Like, I've lost a stone. I don't think anyone's going to come in and be like, don't be such an arrogant prick. Like, I don't think anyone's going to say, like, no. oh, well, well done. And anyone who does, you don't want their opinion anyways because they're mm. clearly in the cheap seats. They're the ones that aren't even in the arena. So... I think being able to see some of these aspects as well can really help because now you can be like, oh, and this was a great, something that I thought about and I can't remember where I heard it. Where, How would you show up if you put as much energy into celebrating your wins as you do criticizing your losses or your failures or your downfalls? Mm. And I think that's a really powerful reframe. Like yeah. right now, just sit down, write down some of your wins and allow yourself to feel and give yourself the same level of energy, but in a positive sense, as what you would your negatives and see how you feel. See what that feels like to you right now. Because that yeah. would be a game changer for you. Yeah, yeah. I think like that is I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's like the taking of a compliment, isn't it? It's because you don't see yourself like that. So when other people say to you, Oh, you look like you've lost weight, or you're looking really strong, or you're looking amazing, because you don't actually see it or feel it it's almost like you have to come back with an immediate retort. Oh, well, uh, you know, I need to do better or, you know, I'm not there yet or I'm not as good as so-and-so, you know, there's always that kind of like, I need to fly back with a negative to outweigh the positive. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with celebrating those wins. And that if the, if the win isn't related to weight loss uh, or fat loss, then they don't see it as a win. You know, if their goal is fat loss, and I think this is something that we're we're going to we'll link into the the next bit nicely is um is looking at other things other than weight loss as your your goal um to get the results that you want because people can become so fixated on I need to lose X amount of weight I must lose five kilos I must lose ten kilos that they become so fixated on what they want the results to be they don't the bit in the middle, they don't put any effort into that because they don't think that that's required. And it just kind of, that becomes lost. And then they don't get the results that they want because they've put all their focus on the end bit instead of in the middle bit. You'll put it in a much better way than me, Stu. (laughs) No, I was actually thinking when you were talking there about some sort of other analogy that would help this sort of make sense. And I was just thinking from a career perspective, like this is just literally coming out of my head. Like when it comes to fat loss, if you see the actual scale weight change as like a bonus, but not the actual outcome, 
Like, it's like when you go to work, like, you might be looking for a promotion, but if you get a bonus, it's a bonus. It's great. Like, yeah, celebrate it. If your thing is to progress your career, then if you pass a training course or you do get a pay rise, it's not the promotion that you were aiming for, but you still celebrate them. You don't completely, like, oh, oh no, like, this year has been a disaster because I only got a £5,000 a year pay rise. It doesn't happen. Like, as soon as we change the context, like, we're so irrational when it comes to fat loss. So irrational. And I've asked people previously, like, what they feel the drivers of this is. Like, why are we so irrational? And obviously, there's a lot of it to do with stuff like diet culture. And and again, we're also irrational with money. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's these two places in our lives that we're just, we don't abide by logic. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's so emotive for us. Mm. And I think even just being aware of that and being like, I can be so illogical with this process right now. And I know that there's going to be times where I don't think rationally with when I'm trying to make things make sense and I can't make that happen. And I'm so driven by emotions. I think even being aware of that can be really helpful. But what you were saying there about celebrating those wins along the way, if you were running a marathon and you only celebrated finishing the marathon, then there's a very good chance that right through it's going to be awful. Whereas right through, if you're running along, you're like, one mile down, yeah, awesome, two miles down, and you're like, oh, look at me go, like I'm storming along, you're celebrating all those miniature wins, the fact that you're still going, it's going to be a hell of a lot more enjoyable along the way rather than just beating yourself down about how far you've still got to go. Mm. You know, that's you know, if you run your first mile and the first thing you think of is, oh my God, I've got 25 miles to go, you're going to be having a bad time by the time that you get to, you know, five miles left. Yeah, yeah. Because all you're thinking about is, oh my God. And and I had this discussion with a coach on my podcast and one of her actual things was be in the mile. And I was, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. She was an ultra marathoner. And she said, like, the more that you focus on how far there is to go or how far you've ran or what you're doing, the, the more that you just put pressure on yourself, you open the door to things like negativity and should just be in the mile, just concentrate on the mile that you're in now, run this mm. mile and then do the next mile. And I suppose this is the same as what James says, right? Like focus on one kilo. Yeah, that one, one kilo. kilo. Then repeat, break your journey down into little chunks that don't seem as overwhelming because then it reduces the chance that you expose yourself to this emotional intensity that means you end up pressing the fucky button or not continuing at all yeah i think it's definitely breaking it down isn't it and if you can remove that time frame as well that i mean people really underestimate the power that you can put back into yourself by taking that away everybody is so time consumed i need to lose x amount of weight in this time i can't Somebody, I saw, I saw, read, saw this the other day that somebody said, and the actual words that they used, and I didn't, I was actually like, I wondered where, where they got the, it, where it was coming from, from their point of view, but it was like, I can't allow this to happen. The weight was going up because of whatever reason, maybe they weren't being adherent as quite as well, but it was like, I can't allow this to happen. Yet it was, and it was almost like, I don't know. I, I couldn't get the feeling of it. It was, it was, it was a quite a strange conversation um, of how they viewed the path to their fat loss and what was happening. Um, I thought it was quite a, a weird way of 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 expressing it. I suppose more than anything. But I think it's that the power that you're giving to time and the pressure that you're putting on yourself because you're saying I can't allow this to happen. It this has got to happen in this amount of time, and if it doesn't, I'm like, well, what's going to happen? You're you're just going to drop down dead because that's not going to happen. You know what is the worst that can happen if you don't lose ten kilos in six weeks? Probably you'll just go back to what doing what you were before because, like, obviously you failed. Whereas if you take that time frame away, completely remove it, and just say to yourself, okay, I like you know like that mile, like that one kilo. I am just going to keep on doing this until I get to a point where I feel, okay, I'm happy with where I am and now I'm going to maintain it. And it might not be that 10 kilos. You might lose five kilos and go, well, actually, I feel really good in my clothes. I I look great. I'm getting stronger. I'm feeling healthier and fitter. Do I need to lose another five kilos? Probably not. You know, and then because you've taken that time frame away as well, 
you can go out and enjoy the process without that super restriction because when you start to put time frames on it uh and say that you have to be has to be done by an end point then you're just plying on the pressure and the way that you're probably only going to be able to do that is being super restrictive which never lasts and is never a good thing yeah absolutely i'm actually just scanning through something i've been reading recently um and it's about to do with being on the hook and it's actually by Seth Gordon. He does a lot of market and stuff, but the book is called The Practice and it's talking about the process of like creation and and obviously this is starting to look at it, how to expand this out and not creating this idea that there's these false deadlines. So it does really apply across the board. And what it says is, I can't find the quote that I was looking for in particular, but effectively being on the hook is like committing to doing the thing and it's so easy to create reasons to not be on the hook. So for for in this sense, they were talking about shipping creative work. So writing the book, creating the movie, doing the, the play script, you know, creating a piece of content for us maybe. And it's when we create barriers to that, or in this sense, we create a false deadline. So when it comes to fat loss, I am going to lose this 10 kilos in six weeks when that six weeks passes and I haven't done that, I've now given myself the opportunity to get off the hook. I've given myself the opportunity to quit because I'm now like, oh, well, I didn't do it anyways. And you're creating this false sense of scarcity in this time. That's like, right, well, when I get to this stage, if I haven't achieved it, and unlike you, even if you do, what then? What happens then? Because let's say you do achieve... 10 kilos in six weeks, which is a, a large amount of weight in that time frame. And you do do that. What then? What happens? What? Well, you've just let yourself off the hook then. Because it's like, oh, well, I did it. I, I, I ticked the box. Like, that's the goal complete now. But that's not really the goal, is it? And I think when we start to, and this is something that's difficult to do, and starting to explore your own why. And is it somewhat like the five whys? And it's like, oh, I want to lose body fat. Why? Oh, yeah. Because I want to feel better. Why? Why? And it's digging down to the next layers. And like when you actually look, it's never about a particular scale weight. It's never about that. It's never about losing. There's always some other underpinning reasons. Again, can be completely irrational. They don't need to be rational. And uh, and I'm actually reading a book at the minute called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. And he's talking about how irrational we are. And like he was even talking... I'm trying to think of the example that he gave about like we act in a way not because we understand why we're doing it, but there was like an irrational reason that came first. And like the example that he gave was actually like all humans don't like poo. And it's like, but humans didn't like poo in like 1700s, but that was before we even understood about bacteria and all that sort of stuff. Like there was right, like humans just didn't like it. And then as soon as we've got like hundreds of years down the line, we're like, oh, it makes loads of sense to completely avoid that massive pile of shit. But at one point, it was a completely irrational reason why we were like, it made no sense. Yeah. But now it does. So sometimes the, the reason why you're pursuing fat loss can seem quite irrational. It's like, oh, like, actually, is that the reason? Like, is that why? But until you get curious about that, you're still going to go to these false deadlines. You're still going to create these arbitrary metrics that you're going to aim towards. And for so many people, one of the reasons they want to achieve it is because I want to feel better. Mm. There's also a shit ton of other ways to make yourself feel better that doesn't include fat loss or that you can do alongside fat loss. And this links back to body image that we said about the start. Like a lot of people want to feel better about the body. And like, I want to feel better about my body. And there's no denying that fat loss can play a role in that. But it's also understanding that the way that you perceive your body plays a bigger role in that. And there's so many people who try and diet. They're in, like, we see this all the time. People who are 60 kilos, less than 50 kilos. And they're like, I just want to lose this tiny last last little bit of fat. Why? Because I want to feel good in my body. But the way that you feel in your body is more to do with how you perceive your body. Mm. And you're pursuing a, a number that's arbitrary to feel a certain way when you've got the ability to feel that way now, if you worked on your body image, because you're not going to see, you're not going to notice a kilo of fat. You're not going to be able to see it. And it's understanding that actually the thing that you're aiming for can be done via another way. And the means that you're trying to achieve it, dieting, 
actually has a negative impact on body image. Mm. So when as soon as you start dieting, what's the first thing you start doing? You start weighing yourself more. You start yeah. body checking more. You start checking how much fat you've got. You start taking photos. You start taking measurements. All ways of body checking that have a negative impact on body image. So a lot of the behaviors that we do as part of the dieting process have a negative impact on body image. Mm. So for so many people, they're trying to use dieting as the tool to achieve a better body image when actually that's the thing that's moving them the further away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all interlinked, aren't they, really? Which is what a lot of people, I think, seem to forget, don't they? That they also think that they're all separate little units, whereas when once you start like digging deeper, you actually find that they're all actually connected one to the other uh, and it's just a case of working your way through them um did you have anything else was there something else we were going to chat about today yeah there was about fear of letting go of tracking but there's actually something that i've just thought of that you mentioned there about how all these are interconnected and i was chatting well, with a lady earlier on in the week uh, she's not a client by any means but she was saying um that she's embarrassed about the fact that she can't stick to this that she can't, she's like, oh, I'm embarrassed that I can't do the things that I know that I need to do to get the results that I want. And I think everything that we've just talked about there from, you know, the from humility to body image to identity, like people make it sound simple. Like we can sit here all day and we can tell you, do a calorie deficit, eat your protein, do your steps, do this, do that. The reality is doing it is not simple. No. Like the, the underpinning... <laughs> elements of it like a calorie deficit maybe are simple and again they're more complex than people realize anyway but on paper it seems simple do a b c d but it's not simple and like it's tough and that's why so many people struggle and that's why there's so many people out there that aren't walking around in the body that they want because it is tough to do and i think Mm. even being able to acknowledge this and being like the thing that i am trying to do right now is hard so I need to cut myself some slack because if it was easy, then I'd already have done it. And I think yeah. this is where compassion fits into it all. You know, this understanding that actually you're human, like you're going to make mistakes, you're flawed, that is normal, but so is everyone else on the planet. So that doesn't make you unique in any way that you've made mistakes. But the element of that that says self-kindness, like being kind to yourself, like actually, yeah, this is a really hard process to engage in. And maybe yesterday... I didn't do everything that was aligned with my goal, but there's no point beating myself up over that because that's not going to help. So what I can do is show myself a little bit of kindness, a little bit of compassion in this moment to say, you know what, I understand that the thing that I'm going through right now is really difficult. It's a tough thing to embark on. I've been trying for a long time, so that tells me that it's hard. But what I can do is give myself that kindness to say, right, okay, come on, it's hard, but we can keep going. I can still Mm. take another step. What can I do today that moves me that little bit closer? And that links in with what you were saying earlier on about how you speak to yourself and how looking at how we would speak to others. And it's that idea of like, we're quick to give compassion to others. We're quick to understand how other people feel and give them that support and be like, oh, come on, no, you aren't like that. Like, how would you, you know, you need to be kinder to yourself, but we struggle to do it to ourselves. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the the letting go of, of, of tracking, and I know I think we've both done previous podcast episodes on this um yep. the fear of letting go that initial like oh like because calorie count feels safe mm. and i think for someone that's tracked for a very long period of time that's weighed out food like i speak to people and they weigh out lettuce and red onions and tomatoes and i'm like what are you doing like they're tiny little vegetables that have no calorie content whatsoever like uh, well a tomato's a fruit technically Oh no, let's not get onto that conversation. Tomatoes are vegetable. They're not a fruit. They've got seeds inside. So is it a, yeah, but no, no, no. Apples have seeds inside. Pears have seeds inside. Bananas used to have seeds inside. I think they're a fruit. I'm going to like beg to differ. I'm going to call them a vegetable. No, I'm positive because vegetables (laughs) don't have seeds. No way. They're not, but they're not a fruit. Inside anyway. (laughs) Obviously, they grow from one. Yeah, I'm telling you they are. No. I'm you they are. No way. They're vegetable. They're definitely vegetable. Cucumbers, that's a vegetable. Uh, I think the things inside the seeds. Yeah, but that's definitely not a fruit. Right, I'm Googling. I'm literally Googling <laughs> while we talk about um, the fear of letting go of calorie counting. Because, as I say, it feels safe. 
like it feels really safe. Well, it's and that it's that element of control, isn't it? It's like taking control of of what you're eating. Um, but I mean, we like we've both had podcasts on this, and and it is very hard to um to let go of the numbers game because it can be all consuming. I mean, I, I've tra- I've tracked for a long time. I go. You know, I track not tracked for a long time. I sometimes go back to it if, if I feel I need to like tighten things up a bit because I know that for me, it's sometimes I can make better choices. I think if I'm tracking because it's a level of accountability, but it is it's having the faith in yourself, which a lot of people struggle with because they you tell yourself if I'm not going to track then I am clearly just going to eat all the food that there is in the world in one sitting because like, I'm not going to be able to control myself. And that's not simply not true. Um, I mean, the number one thing I say to people is like, how long has my fitness pal been around? Which was like the first tracking app uh, that you could use. Yeah, pretty much. But before that, people lost weight without doing it. Yes, they might have like, written down the foods that they were eating kept a food diary or you know like going back years and years ago to the basic calorie counting but then like the nutritional value and information that we used to have on foods was nowhere near what it is today it was like you were lucky if any like there was any even the calories on on a food label because it didn't used to be and you know back in like when I was a kid you used a lot of the foods that you used to buy were like you know like you you'd mum or your grandma would go down to the the grocery store and buy it out of a jar and it was you know so there was no counting of anything um and people still lost weight and you know not everybody was overweight and and you know and obviously clearly lifestyles were very different back then um but people do actually lose weight without tracking and people manage to maintain what they've got without tracking but i think it, it is a scary step because if you've relied on it solely to get you your weight loss which i think is what people actually struggle with is the fact that they've achieved their their goal maybe through tracking and then they feel well if i stop tracking i'm going to gain it all again because i have no way of knowing how much i eat where in reality you probably do actually, because you probably eat roughly the same things. There may be some variations, but most of the time we're creatures of habit. And so we do the same sort of things. We eat the same sort of foods. Yes, we might go out for meals. Yes, there will be birthdays and weddings and holidays and all those things. But in reality, if you just had a little bit of faith and like we've both spoken about this on our own podcast, and I think the simplest one is just to stick to your principles. What what you do now? I mean, you know what you have for breakfast. So just because you're not going to track it, does that mean that you're going to eat, you know, have a huge fry up every morning because you're not tracking it? Or you're going to have like, you, you know, you were having, I don't know, Greek yogurt with protein powder and loads of fruit with some muesli or whatever. Are you going to stop having that and then have like three pieces of toast lathered with peanut butter and jam every morning? Probably not. But it's that having that faith in your own self to still be able to control what you put in your mouth, I suppose. And people just don't don't feel that they can do that. Yeah, and I think there's a there's this sort of there's a couple of things that you mentioned there that I thought of, and one of them is this like hammer versus Swiss Army knife, and the person who's got the hammer will try and solve every problem with the hammer, whereas the person who's got an array of tools we'll pick the tool that's suitable for the job. So calorie counting is like that hammer. And if all you've ever done is calorie count, then as soon as anything else comes up that calorie counting isn't suitable for, social events, for example, where you can't track food, you try and use that approach. And it's just like, well, it doesn't really work. It doesn't work as well as what a bit more of an intuitive eating approach or a bit more of a um, sort of behavior-based approach would work. So I think even seeing it as an opportunity, like, right, this is an opportunity for me to build my repertoire of tools is a, is a great little reframe to start with. Um, but I think it gives us a sense of control in I know exactly how many calories I'm eating, but it's not real control because real control is you being able to determine, but you're not 
my fitness pal does or whatever your tracking app of choice hashtag not an ad like if if you oh update by the way completely unrelated tomatoes and cucumbers both fruits no i don't believe it i reckon you got that from wikipedia and we all know that botanical botanical classification (laughs) as both fruits no i'm not believing it i'll I'll, I'll do my own you heard it here first you heard it here first but back to tracking it's like pseudo control like you feel as though you're in control but you're not my fitness pal is so what happens and you see this all the time right so you've outsourced everything hunger cues satiety cues food choices you outsource everything to my fitness pal and then as soon as you don't have that to rely on you don't know what to do mm. and sometimes the the fear of letting go is because it feels like it's a safety net so like oh if i'm going to overeat i can now turn to my fitness pal to inform me whether i can or i can't overeat but the reality is the choice for you to overeat was always there you don't have to listen to my fitness pal but you yeah. used it as that sort of guideline of like oh i want to eat this sort of amount and i think just understanding that the fear of letting go of tracking is completely normal there are multiple things you can do check out fee's um podcast on moving away from tracking and that will help you move away but at some point it needs to come like do you want to be tracking calories for the rest of your life not really like nobody really does it in reality do they do you know what I mean? And it, and so, like, I've spoke to someone before, and they were like, I've logged my food every day for the last five years on my fitness pal. And I'm like... Yeah, because it gives you, like, it tells you how many days as well street. you've logged, doesn't it? And it's like, five five years? Like, is that how you, you want to live your life? Like, that's a long time to be tracking your food every day. Is that what you want your life to look like every single day? And yes, you might not find it a chore. And yes, you might like the numbers... But how do you know you don't like what's on the other side? Well, you mm. don't because you've never tried it. And it's understanding that there's multiple different ways to do this. There's multiple ways to skin a cat. Mm. Multiple roads lead to Rome. Like, you can do use different options, but giving yourself the variety of tools lets you choose the appropriate one for the job rather than just going in with the hammer at every single opportunity. And, and again, you know... A lot of the people I work with have tracked for a long period of time. Like they know what calorie counting is. They've done it. And I say to them, right, let's, I literally had a message from one of the people I work with this morning. We've moved away from tracking. Um, she had an untracked weekend. We've moved more towards a diet break. And she said, oh my God, this is probably the best I've felt waking up on a Monday. Because there's no pressure on the numbers. Mm. There's no preoccupation with them there. And I think it's just understanding that there's times where stepping away from that can be really powerful. And there's times where, yeah, absolutely, exactly like you said, it's a tool. You've picked up the tool to give yourself some more accountability to make sure that the choices you are making align with the goal that you're trying to aim for. It's that like almost like a reassurance check of like, oh, actually, yeah, I'm hitting the amount of protein that I thought I was. Amazing. I can go back to not tracking if I want to. But actually, if I wasn't, oh, well, maybe I can start tracking again for the next week, say where I am, reset my expectations of the food that I'm eating and then continue from there. Yeah, I think it's it's good to remember that, like, if you, the, the fear of stepping away doesn't mean that you can never do it again. It's not like it's, again, that all or nothing, is it? Isn't it? It's like, just because you're going to move away from it doesn't mean that you can never go back to using it again at any point. It's always going to be a tool in your toolbox that you know how to use, you know that it's handy. And that if you can think, okay, I've had a few weeks where I haven't been as, you know, maybe as conscious of what I've been eating um, and my, my proteins drop, because that's usually the thing that I find for me personally that drops drops the first, that just going back to it for even a couple of days just makes you more conscious of the choices that you're making. Um, but the fear, I think, it comes from that, that like being in control of your choices. And for some people, it's it's that stepping away and knowing that you've still got control. It's just that you haven't got an app that's telling you that you have. And it, it's just become a numbers game. And I think it can add more more stress. I've quite, probably half of my clients don't actually track um anymore because i've moved them away because you know for some of them they got to the point where it was like it became it's just something that they couldn't commit to so they were never actually fully doing it they had kind of like they had their foot half in and half out so they would do some of it and then they would not do it some of it 
So it was like, well, there's no point in doing it because you're not actually really doing it properly anyway. So you might as well just step away. And then you've removed that pressure because you're always telling yourself, well, I'm rubbish at this. I can't actually do it. I know I need to. I know it works for me. You know, I had one client that was very successful in the first like year that we worked together through tracking, something that she had never done before. But as over time, it's now become the opposite for her because it's something that she's just never fully in and not like, you know, she's like, well, I get really annoyed. I do it for a bit and then I stop doing it and I can't like fully commit. I was like, okay, let's, we're just going to move away from this completely. Um, And she's gone, well, actually it's, I'm making much better choices now because I'm not like half doing it. And the other half then like thinking, oh shit, I haven't done it. Um, Okay. I'm going to forget about that day and I'll start again tomorrow. Whereas now she's like, okay, so I'm eating three balanced meals a day. You know, I'm snacking less. I'm making sure that I've hit, you know, eating protein at every meal, getting my plants um, and fruits in, not tomatoes. Um, (laughs) And it's just been taking it back to simple basics, I think, because we're all surrounded by so much technology these days. And like there is an app for everything that we become so reliant on them, whereas in reality if you just relied on yourself more and gave yourself a little bit of faith and grace and think yeah I can actually do this I am more than capable of doing this and being in control of what I put in my mouth without an app telling me whether it's right or not and I mean they're not they're not accurate anyway we we know that you know all nutritional values on food products are allowed to be up to 20 percent inaccurate so it's never going to be perfect anyway, even if you are tracking at 100%. There's always going to be a little bit of leeway left or right. Um, and I think that's what's great about having a coach is that you've got that support network underneath you to say what you're doing is right. And like, you know, I'm here to catch you if you need it. And we can go back and use, you know, my fitness pal or whatever it is that you want to use. Yeah, I think exploring what, what you're scared is going to happen, what you think is going to happen. And for so many people, especially when, and I think understanding as well from the perspective of the person that's listening now, like if you've made loads of progress and you've got so much closer to where you want to be and the only thing that you can gravitate towards is where you were. And it's like, well, I don't want to go back there. Like I don't, especially if you have made progress and you've got to like somewhere where you are genuinely content, you look back and you're like, well, I don't want to let go of this thing because previously when I didn't do this tracking, I ended up there. But it's understanding that since then, you've gained so much more experience and knowledge. Like where you are as a person, your personal growth has increased since you were in that place. And again, you know, there's a, there's strategies, there's ways that you can prioritize the actions that you take while you're not tracking. Of course there is. But it's understanding that you've got so much more understanding now compared to where you once were. And for a lot of people, the fear is to regain weight, is to regain mm. body fat. Like, oh, like, I'm going to end up, exactly like you say, going a bit wild, or I'm going to go back to where I was, or I'm not going to have that control. It's like you say, it's not real control anyway. You know, you that what feels like a safety net can be more of a hindrance. And mm. there comes a point where, like, in order, great analogy, Stu, great analogy, I've just thought of it, like, Calories are literally, I think someone else has said it before, so I'm not going to take claim for it, but calories are like training wheels on your bike, but there comes a point where in order to fully ride the bike, you need to take the training wheels off. You can't continue. The safety net's there for calorie counting, but there comes a point where you need to take the safety net away. Otherwise, you're not going to fully embrace what is living through the process. Mm. So you need to do that at some point anyway. So what better time than now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well said. Great analogy. I think I have heard that one before, yeah. Yeah, I have heard it before. That was the one that first gravitated to mind, which tells me that I have heard it before. Um, But I just thought of that safety net, remove that tightrope. Didn't yeah. want to use tightrope, though, because if you fall off a tightrope and you haven't got a safety net, it's going to be pretty painful. It Well, yeah, it would be, definitely. Unless the tightrope wasn't that high. But it doesn't matter, because fruits and cucumber, uh, tomatoes and cucumbers <laughs> are fruits. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not getting inside. Sense. Yeah, no, it's still not not love. No, it's not fruit. It's not fruit. It uh, like okay. Oh, does that, that also means peppers are fruits? 
peppers up season no time. i am gonna go and google this in a minute i'm gonna like do some research on it i don't have anything time for anything else but i'm gonna research yeah, I, d- I don't have time to do the washing to feed the kids no. i don't have time to do any of this but i do have time to find out if peppers cucumbers and tomatoes are actually fruits yes i do and the answer is yes do. so i'll save you the time anyway <laughs> Right, I'm going to say thank you very much for this month. Another month passes by. And then we're into like, oh, my God, the last few months of the year. What was that? We're coming up for the last quarter of the year. Is that is that right? September, October, November. Yeah, end, yeah. Of, end of September is the and Actually, September is a really good month, though, for us, Stu. It's our birthday month, I do believe. It is. It is indeed our birthday month. When's what day to you? Mine is the 10th of September. Oh, 10th. 10th. I'm the 25th, so I'm a little Ooh, bit so, later on. But... Yeah, yeah. Nice solid, solid, solid month for us. Birthday month. It is. Ooh, I believe. Not, not to disclose your age live on podcast, <laughs> but I know that I'm thirty, so I'm coming up to like a, a round number. And oh well, I'm coming yourself. up to a round number. You going to well. Bar- Barcelona for a nice little trip? Yeah, yeah. F- yeah. I- I'm the big century, half a century actually. Uh, fifty this year. I was just. We were. To, I was talking. Looking yeah. great for a hundred. I know. Year, no, looking I know. You can tell I've been up a few hours, can't you? Well, um, I, I can tell that you've been eating lots of tomatoes because for, yeah. for longevity. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I was talking to the kids about this last night because they we we get, we uh, did an Alexa to see um what the uh, age of the oldest person was in the world that they'd lived to, and apparently, according to Alexa. It's 121 years. Um, So I said to them, well, I definitely plan on living past 100, so you better get used to me being around. And then I was quite thrilled to think that I might actually have another 70 years on this planet, so that still gives me a lot of time to do a lot of stuff. So, yeah, that's my aim anyway. (laughs) Just just live forever. There is actually that guy that is literally trying to live forever. He's called, like, Brian Johnson or something. I know that's probably one of the most generic names this side of shop, but there's, there's... there's a guy who's literally trying to extend his age forever. He's called like Brian Johnson. Oh, I'm going to have to Google that. He spends like millions of dollars every single month on like extending his life. But How does he my... do that? Well, Where does he get his money from? Well, he's a multimillionaire. And also my question is, how much time is he spending trying to extend his life that he could just be using not extending his life? But like, just the, living the it. The thing that he's trying to get more of is time. But the problem is time is on both sides of the equation. It costs him time to get more time. Yeah. So unless the time that he's investing is going to give him notably more on the other side, it's a pointless endeavour. It is. Well, he could be spending that, that time actually living his life instead well, this of... is what I mean. It's this whole idea of, like, success will bring you happiness. So the reason why you try and be successful is to be happy, but you pay happiness on this side like you're not being happy now because you're too busy trying to be successful in the pursuit of happiness well because there's happiness on both sides of the equation you can just eliminate success and you end up happy anyway well that yeah yeah so that was a good end to the podcast (laughs) totally random (laughs) yeah oh absolutely absolutely there there you go there's the thoughts of what goes on in our brains yeah regular basis conversations i have with my kids Right, thank you very much for another month, Stu, and I shall talk to you later. No, thanks so much for having me. As always, it is my pleasure. Cheers, Stu.